God is good? And all the time? In case you're new here, we do that every Sunday, so I'm going to give you another opportunity. God is good? And all the time? I don't want you to feel left out. My name is John, and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here today, and I'm thankful for uh, baby dedication we got to be a part of. We also got to see divine baptized, and at the close of our service today, we're going to have a a commissioning service for a young couple, uh, the Hoyts, that are uh, answered the call to go to Niger, West Africa. And so I'm, this is an action-packed day, so I'm going to get right into the message, all right? So Psalm chapter 5, we are in our series entitled Summer uh, Playlist. As we think about the book of Psalms, 150 different chapters, we're going to, this summer, we're, we're at the halfway point, right? Psalm chapter Five. Can you believe that like summer's half over? Who's depressed by just hearing that? Right? All the kids are moaning and groaning and like, oh. How many of you parents are ready for school to start back up? All right? There's always that time. It's like, okay, the kids have been home long enough. It's time to go back to school. I, I get it. I understand. But Psalms, I love the book of Psalms because it's, as we've called this summer playlist, really the book of Psalms is God's playlist. It's a collection of songs. And as you know, songs have a way of evoking emotion. Sometimes there's joy expressed through songs. Sometimes there's sadness. Sometimes there's deep pain. And that's what we see in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is just like raw and real. That the, the different psalmists have just poured out their heart to God and just openness and transparency and being vulnerable. And we see this also in Psalm chapter number five. And, and two weeks ago, we were in Psalm chapter four. And we said in Psalm chapter four that, that this was an evening prayer, all right? And Psalm chapter four was written by King David, kind of has the same title as, as information that it was written by David. And Psalm four was supposed to be uh, sung with uh, stringed instrument, instruments. Psalm 5 is also written by King David, but it said it's to be sung with flutes. And we understand Psalm 4 was this evening psalm. And we ended up Psalm 4, verse number 8 with, and let me read it for you. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Doesn't that sound good right now? How many of you have already thinking about your Sunday afternoon nap? Okay. Wait on. You, you can wait another 20 minutes, all right? I will both lie down in peace and sleep. The truth is I would assume that some of you this morning walked in and you didn't sleep much last night. That this isn't a description of your evening. He says, oh Lord, make me, make me dwell in safety. Does, your, does it say dwell up there? Make me dwell in safety, okay. Mine says, make me swell in safety. I was like, I don't, I don't think that's supposed to be what the word is, all right? I'm swell enough already. But uh, anyways, random thoughts by Pastor John as he reads his text, all right? But what is, so he ends this evening prayer of this thought. Rest is a byproduct of trust. That even... Though the oceans may consume me, that I will trust. And if I put my trust in the Lord, even in my problems as I go to bed, God can give me rest. Amen. 
Have you experienced the rest of God in your life? And it's almost as if Psalm 5 is the very next morning that David walks up. So we have this Psalm 4, this evening prayer where the challenge was maybe every night this summer you would go to bed reading Psalm chapter 4 and that you would have that prayer in your heart. Lord, I'm trusting you as I lay down tonight, so give me rest. And then he wakes up and Psalm chapter 5 is known as this morning prayer. Again, King David is praying. It's almost as if thank you, God, for this rest, and I'm going to start my morning in prayer. And really the key verse in Psalm chapter 5 is verse number 8, where he asks, it finally gets to his request, and he says, Lord, well, let's just read verse number 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. And it's a simple request, Lord, that God, you would lead me, that you would direct me, that you would make my path straight. He doesn't necessarily ask God to make his path easy. He just like, make it clear, God, what direction are you wanting me to go in? This is the, really the prayer request that David has. And so as he wakes up in the morning, there's a lot of different ways that we could go at this text this morning, but the way I just want to approach it this morning is really broken up in three different categories. We think about a morning prayer. We think about David's prayer. The first segment I want to look at is verses one through three and kind of the title that I gave these few verses is a proper posture and maybe there's a way we should approach God we said last week in second Chronicles seven fourteen, you know if my people will humble and they'll seek my face and 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 they will they will turn from their sins and if they will pray then I will hear from heaven and we kind of left last week saying three things right that we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God's face and we're going to repent. Then we went to Philippians chapter four and Philippians four verse six says, basically the summary of that verse is I'm going to worry about nothing. I'm going to pray about everything. And then verse seven says, if I worry about nothing, I'll pray about everything. The byproduct of prayer is peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts through Jesus Christ. And so this theme of prayer continually coming up, and now David early in the morning wakes up to pray. And what's the posture he has before an almighty God? Let's look at the first three verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. And, and probably in your text, Lord is capitalized. And again, in the Old Testament, when we see the all caps Lord, we're talking about Jehovah the all-existing one, God himself. Consider my meditation, and really this word meditation is not so much what we think of meditation, of I'm pondering on a thought, but it's more of, God, hear my groaning within me. Yeah, I went to bed at peace last night, but I woke up this morning and I still got some problems. And God, hear my groaning, my meditation, my complaint. Verse two, give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you, I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. And when I think about this passage of scripture, I, I think of three different times, right? Verse number one, he says, give ear. He's like, this, the, the, the word literally means, and it implies intentionality, like literally the word means to broaden out the ear. Like I get this mental picture of like, I'm, I mean, I don't have to do that so much with mine. They're already kind of broadened out, but it's this idea of David is saying, God, would you, I want you to listen. 
And then in, in, in still in verse number one, he says, consider, like again, this word consider means to perceive, or it gives us the understanding of active listening. God, please turn your ear toward me in the morning as I pray. And in verse two, the third time he uses another word, he says, give heed to the voice of my cry, focused listening. I think we could think David's a little bit arrogant to come to the Lord and say, hey, God, listen up. But that's not, that's not the heart. I don't think that's the attitude that David is approaching. The way that I picture this is if you were like me, you know, oftentimes when I, my kids were little, I would, you know, sit here maybe on the edge of my chair and I would be watching football maybe, right? And it's the most important, right? It's third down and goal, I mean, maybe the Cowboys are going to win this year. It's just going to be awesome. And I'm so focused on the TV. Anybody can relate to that? Okay. Or maybe it's Christmas and unfortunately we're in the middle of July and apparently the Hallmark Channel thinks it's Christmas in July and all those. Anyways, you might be focused so much. Your kid ever come up to you and just put their hands on your face? Dad, hold on. It's third down and goal. Your kids ever do that to you and just put their hands on your face? Only a kid can do that. You put your hands on my face and say, listen up. We're going to have problems, right? So it lends itself to this relationship. And it's as if David, who is the king, humbles himself before the Lord God, this morning, would you listen? My heart's heavy. I've got some struggles. I think what I like about this text is we don't really know what the struggle is in this moment. And sometimes when David writes, we know. Absalom is trying to destroy him as we talked about a few weeks ago. But sometimes we don't know the hurt. We don't know the suffering. We don't know the problem. It seems later in the text that People are trying to attack him, but we don't really know the circumstances. So it just allows us maybe to put it in our own. What, what are we facing? What kept you up last night? So David humbly says, Lord, would you listen to me this morning? I have this simple request. We already read the request, right? Like lead me in righteousness. I think this posture continues and just it's going to highlight, you, you may want to pay, take a picture of the screen on the next screen that just gives us kind of some thoughts about his prayer. Number one, his prayer was direct. Like I'm going to the Lord in prayer. It was vulnerable. We already said verse one, uh, consider my meditation. It was the, the trouble, the groaning, the hurt in my life. Consider like I'm going to be transparent with you, God. I'm vulnerable. I'm humble. Here we see David the king, one, arguably one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel. And what does he humbly say? My king and my God. It's humble. It's prioritized. It's in the morning. Listen to this quote as some of you are writing it down, some of you are taking a picture. But listen to this quote about morning prayer. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. Let us give God the mornings of our days and the mornings of our lives. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. 
And maybe for us, it's a new commitment. I'm just gonna, even if it's, I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm gonna read Psalm chapter five, a, a morning prayer to focus my attention on the Lord. And before I go to bed at night, I'm gonna read Psalm chapter four. The, the last thing that's on this is expectant. It says here in verse number three, my voice shall hear the, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. And my mind immediately, when I hear the word look up, I'm thinking of worship, I'm thinking of looking up unto God, but really the word there is not so much up as much as out. Like I'm, I'm gonna pray this prayer and God, I'm gonna expect that when I get done praying, you're gonna move, you're gonna work. And you see all throughout scripture that we are to pray in confidence, expecting that if we ask in faith, God will answer on our behalf. David is expecting God to hear him. So we have this posture of prayer. I'm gonna humble myself before King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm gonna seek his face and oh God, would you hear me? Proper perspective, verses four through 10 and we're gonna read this quickly. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your side. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship you toward your holy temple. And here's the, here's the prayer request. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. So we know there's enemies. He says, make your way straight before my face. There is no, so here's right, a little bit of hint of what he's dealing with. People are lying about him for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. And doesn't the, doesn't the scripture tell us that as followers of Jesus, sometimes our good will be evil spoken of? And that's kind of the hint of what David is saying here. Their inward part is destruction. The throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. In verse number 10, he says, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. And, and Psalm 5 is known as an imprecatory prayer. In a few weeks, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 7, and it's another imprecatory prayer. And it seems a little bit hard for us to understand, and I'm not going to take tons of time to, to explain it, spend some time, but really an imprecatory prayer is God is, is a, a prayer of judgment over the wicked. And we have to be really careful about this and we could take a long time unpacking this, but what we understand is that our, our motive and our heart matters. Like when we pray in line with the will of God and in the character of God, then we can pray an imprecatory prayer. Like a proper imprecatory prayer is, that was hard to say, Proper imprecatory prayer is not when you got caught up, cut off on the road this morning to ask God to put judgment on that person. That's not what we're talking about. This week, though, went to the movie and watched Sound of Freedom. And I had some thoughts of imprecatory prayer. That how could God allow wickedness Anybody watch that this week? I encourage you to, to watch it. To think of the millions of little kids who are stolen and enslaved into sex trafficking. That's what the movie's about. I'm just gonna, that's all I'm gonna say about it. 
But I'm telling you, I, I had some righteous indignation about people who would do that to kids. Right, so there is a proper way to have imprecatory prayer. And, and we'll get into that probably a little more in, in chapter seven. But that's what David is praying. But I find it interesting. So we're, we're talking about here that this, this second aspect, that there's a proper perspective. Because David, you know, basically kind of goes back to Psalm chapter one, right? There's two paths. There's the ungodly and then there's a the godly. As we said in Matthew, there's a wide road that leads to, uh, to destruction, a narrow road that leads to death. And all throughout the scripture, we see there's a right path and a, and a bad path. Like there's a path toward God and a path toward destruction. And so as we think about this path, David is saying there's those wicked people and they can't, so, so there's this idea or this thought of Hebrew poetry called parallelism. And in chapter, or in verses four through seven, we see three instances of parallelism. Like there's three parallels, okay? And I know I'm getting deep into the woods, but I'm gonna try to explain this as quickly as possible. So look at verse number four. A parallel is basically saying the same thing twice, but different, okay? Like clean up your room and go pick up your room, okay? I never heard that as a kid. Mine was always spotless. But verse four, <laughs> for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell within you states the same thing in a different way. What's he really saying? The main idea of the parallel is this. Of verse four, God is just and holy. Okay, verse number five, another parallel. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. And what is the main idea of this parallel? God will not allow the wicked to have access to him. Verse number six, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. What's the main idea of this parallel? God will judge the wicked. So what's the theme of these three verses? That God hates evil and he will judge it. Now for David, he was crying out for judgment to happen right now. And sometimes that may happen, but we know when we read the end of the book, God will eventually judge all evil. And God will set the record straight. And so even though God may not answer and judge like we want him to now, we know that one day he will. And God will set the record straight. But, but so when we think about this, let's think for a moment, what David is saying is that, that God hates evil and God will judge it. And in the second parallel there, verse six, I believe it is, it says that, that what uh, the theme of that is, that we cannot have access to God if we are wicked. But then David goes on to pray and say, but God, hear my cry. And don't we know about King David, right? King David was an adulterer, a murderer, a liar. And that was just like one day in his life, right? One bad experience. So how can King David approach a holy, righteous God, whom he's just said hates wicked and will not grant wicked access to him. How can David do that then? How can David have access? I think the greater question for you maybe today is, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that you are the wicked. In case that felt bad, let me say it again. God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means I are the wicked. So how do I have access to God when David clearly states the wicked have no access to God. Well, I'm glad 
Verse 7 says this, But as for me, I will come in your house in the multitude of your, what's the word? Mercy. Mercy. Isn't that a great word? How can David approach a holy, righteous God? Only through the mercy of God. And as soon as I read that, I immediately thought of Ephesians chapter 2. Let me, let me read Ephesians chapter 2. It says this. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and they were by nature children of wrath just as others. In other words, we are all wicked before God and have no access to God. It's the same thing that David is saying in Psalm chapter five. The wicked have no access to God. David says, but I will approach you, God, based on your mercy. The first few verses of Ephesians 2 set it up, right? The wicked are dead. Verse four, but God, who is rich in, what's the word? And why does he have mercy? Because of his great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. It's through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The difference between sinners rejected by God and sinners reconciled to God has nothing to do with the sinner himself, but everything to do with God's grace. How can David, who is a wicked man, come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in his time of need, as Hebrews tells us. But God, who's rich in his mercy, because of his great love by which he loved us, for by grace you have been saved. Aren't you thankful for grace? And everyone that has said amen here this morning, I'm gonna assume that at one point in your life, you made the decision to acknowledge that you're good enough will never be good enough and that you made the decision to say, God, yes, I am wicked and I can't approach the throne of God. But because Jesus loved me so much and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross, and he paid the penalty of my sin debt, I'm crying out to Jesus. Did you hear in Divine's testimony this morning that it sounded eerily like Riley's testimony last week when she said, I admitted that I was a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me and I confessed my sins that Jesus is the only way to God. That even a child can understand the proper posture is to humble myself And the proper perspective is to realize there is no way I can get to God apart from Jesus. And if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, I wanna encourage you, do it today. It's very simple, admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died for you. Confess Jesus is Lord.
So proper posture leads to proper perspective, which then leads us to proper praise. Verse 11, let those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defended them, defend them. And let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor and will surround him as with a shield. What does this end of the psalm tell us? Well, it tells us that we can have joy and protection if we'll trust in Jesus. So even in my problems and my worries, and I gave it to him at night, God allowed me to rest. And maybe you're like me. You got up the next morning and the first thing on your mind was the problem you put to bed last night. And what's our response? God, I humbly come before you. Would you hear me? Would you give me rest? Would you give me joy? Would you give me protection? And David says, if you trust... God will give you joy, and God will protect you. I'm going to invite uh, the band to come up here this morning as we close out in a a spirit of worship. And as they do this morning, I, I want you just to think and to evaluate in your own life for a moment this morning. Two things. Have you come to Jesus in faith? Second, If you have come to Jesus in faith, then the follow-up to that, as I would ask you, is whatever the issues you may be facing today, are you trusting that God is good and that God is in control? And if not, maybe in the next few minutes as we worship, it's an opportunity for you to sit where you're at, stand where you're at, come forward and pray and say, God, I trust. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the psalmist, David, who tells us, Lord, that if we will trust in you, you'll give us rest. You'll give us joy. You'll give us protection. You'll give us favor. Lord, help us, even in our problems, that we will make the decision. We will build our life on you, a firm foundation, and trust you in all things. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we close out the service and worship.